Um, tonight we're going to be talking about um, making room. I want to think about making room. You know, I, I think like firstly for us to acknowledge that A, we're all here and we're all different. That presents us with an existential, I think, onus to A, acknowledge difference, B, invite difference, and C, change the way that we act and interact to facilitate an environment and a space where each of us as different and unique people feel comfortable to be themselves in light of difference. And as Aleem said last week, love doesn't necessarily look, and I don't think it should look like conformity, where I think the criteria for our love becomes us all being the same, because that's just not the case. And the beautiful thing about life is, and our humanity is, through our varied expressions and passions and interests and proclivities and faiths and doubts and all of it, we're always going to be different. And so love doesn't necessarily look like conformity. It looks like unity amongst difference. And so that's what we want to talk about tonight. Um, I'm not a parent yet. Um, I anticipate that maybe one day I will be. But I can imagine that when you become a parent, your life completely changes. And you have to make room for this new, beautiful little addition to your family. And all of a sudden, eating spicy vegetarian nachos from GYG every night just isn't going to fly. And you need to reimagine what this little space looks like, your little existential framework with this, new, this newborn. And you have to make room. And you do that, you acknowledge your baby is different to you. It can't have spicy vegetarian nachos every night. I think if you were to ignore that fact, you wouldn't be engaging with your son or daughter as they were. You'd be conforming them to their detriment, health-wise. Um, but rather, I don't think we do that. I think we have like a, a natural ability as empathetic beings to acknowledge the other and then, and then shape the way, sometimes better, sometimes worse, the way that we act and engage and just are around one another to accommodate for the differences that we have. And the reason that this is one of our core values is because we see this so strongly in the Christian tradition. Um, and the onus is on us to do the same. So tonight I want to share a story that, look, before I actually started studying it, I, I always read it differently. And it's a, it's a story of Jonah. It's interesting, this concept of like making room doesn't really come into the picture when we think about Jonah. Often when we think about Jonah, we think about a guy who had to live inside of a whale for three days and was known for his disobedience to God. Um, and aside from thinking about w what it would be like to have stomach lining of a whale for a doona over three days and thinking that Jonah's a stubborn guy, I think we actually missed the point. Um, to give you a bit of a background in, in, in the book of Jonah, I'm going I'm to throw some words at you and I'll explain what they mean. Most scholars would attest that Jonah is a satirical, didactic narrative. Satirical or satire, meaning a play off of. Didactic meaning to teach, and narrative being a story. And in the story of Jonah, whether you take it historically or as a bit of fiction, what most scholars would posit is it is written somewhere between the 8th and the 5th century BC, which leaves a lot of space. But what we do know about that time and the environment in which it was written, was it was written by an Israelite community who had been exiled from their homeland by either the Assyrians or the Babylonians. 
Now, to a Jew, homeland, right to practice religion, right to be themselves. The political, religious, existential spectrums are all wrapped up in one, this natural, uh, national identity, God's chosen people, are so proud. And having that ripped away from you, even your location, the Holy Land, Jerusalem, there's still wars being fought about it now. Taken away from you by people who force you to adopt different religions, who now you're on the fringes of society, you're not, you're not a thriving central um, economic force anymore. You're the other. And you're frustrated. Because you're like, hey, Abraham, when we signed up to this contract thing, this covenant with God, I thought it was going to be all good. I thought we were going to be a people who were blessed. And they're extremely, extremely frustrated with the situation. And so out of this context comes the story of Jonah. Nobody knows who wrote it. Some say there were many. Others say there were one. But it's about this guy called Jonah ben Amittai, who is mentioned historically in two kings, which is written centuries before this is said, written. And um, the story about Jonah that we all know is like stereotypical, like over the top of it when, when we read it, we see Jonah just being disobedient and that's what we know it for. Jonah's actions, giving his station as a prophet from Israel, are ironic in their contradiction to God's desires. Jonah runs, Yahweh pursues. Jonah sleeps, Yahweh stirs the sea. Jonah wants to die, Yahweh wants to spare life. Jonah despises Nineveh, Yahweh pities it. And what we often, like when we read that as disobedience, I, I, think, we're, I think we're missing like a big gist of the story. And that, that story is about inclusion. Its story is about making room. The story is about Jonah expanding and reimagining or having to reimagine what life looks like in light of a merciful God who universally wants to embrace the world, including the people that he and everybody he holds close to him or anybody that the Israelite reading this story would hold close to him or her would hate, would absolutely despise for robbing them of their homeland, their traditions, their religion, and everything that they hold so central to their self-identity. Can you imagine what that would be like? That would be the worst. You would despise them. And if you're in an outcast community and you're all there hating and brooding together, I dare say it would be heightened. And so we read this story of Jonah, this Israelite, who is told by God to go to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, in the book, the great city, because they've been sinful and God wants them to repent. Jonah doesn't want a bar of it. He runs away. God finds him, puts him inside of a whale, spits him out on land, says, go and do it. And he does it. And the people repent. And in the book it says, from the greatest to the least, some interpreters say that could mean from the kings to the cattle. Literally everybody wore sackcloth. In Jewish tradition, wearing sackcloth is like a sign of repentance. I'm nothing. And, and repented to God. And Jonah is like so frustrated by God's mercy because of their repentance. And he's frustrated. And so Aleem read this little scripture before. I'll, I'll read it. It's right at the end. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. 
Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But Jonah, or sorry, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals? Jonah, or the stereotypical Israelite who would have put themselves in Jonah's hands or in Jonah's situation in reading that story. I do this with Jerry Maguire. When I watch Jerry Maguire, I can't help but relate to the guy. And I sit there and I'm just, mm, I'm in it. When he's just like, I want my what? You know, those kind of moments, you just put yourself in it. And this is what the Israelite would do um, with this particular story. In anticipation of these big prophetic promises that God was going to deliver, that if they were obedient to the covenant, he would give them blessing. They're like, what the heck? This does not look like blessing to me. I'm still oppressed. And I want justice. I want mercy. I want God to come in and wipe out just like Joshua's God did. Okay, now I just want a victorious God to wipe everybody out. Not a merciful one. And especially not one so merciful that he would embrace enemies. And so the words that we would use to describe the character of Jonah today would be xenophobic, racist, uninclusive, not a universalist, definitely an exclusivist. But it's justified too. I can completely understand how Jonah, well not completely, I haven't been in Babylonian exile before, but you can, you can imagine that how that would feel and, and how we feel too when we're in situations where we're not only wrong, but we might be uncomfortable. Just to tone that back, I want to make this too extreme. We're not going to go into exile anytime soon. This is a very extreme situation to paint, I think, a wider reality. Which is, we are put in situations with people that are different to us. And the call of the Christian tradition, as further manifested by, the, by Jesus Christ, in engaging those that are outcast from society, not necessarily the oppressors like Babylon or Assyria, but prostitutes, tax collectors, you've heard all, all this before. All of these people who are absolutely the lowest of the low in Jewish society. Jesus made room for them. And so in the call to love thy neighbor just as you love God, love the neighbor or being the other, the call for the Christian is to make room, is to forego systemic religious political abuse, self-justification of casting out the other. Because at some point in our lives, we've all been that other. To me, I am other to you. You're other to me as well. And yet, as people who are called to love one another, we have to make room. We have to reimagine what our lives look like when we're in a community with one another. Like we've said, like from week one, we want to reimagine who we are based on who you are. By doing those things, acknowledging difference. We are different. Inviting it, saying, hey, you are welcome to be you. And three, actually doing something about it. Changing the way that you have a conversation when somebody else comes into it. Changing the way, we might not even be doing two songs 
announcements and, and a sermon. But look, uh, confession, that's all I've ever known. <laughs> I'm ACC the whole way. That's all I've ever known. We might not do that. That might not be right for where we grow to. We might need to make room for who's here and, and what the best expressions of, of our ministry and our convictions and our calls are as a collective, but also as individuals as well. And so we want to make room in, in three, well, look, as many ways as possible. But I thought I would just, um, I, would just, I would just highlight a few. We're, we're going to try and make room ideologically with belief. Often when you say the word Christian, you assume a certain thing. You know what I mean? Often you say, hey, are you a Christian? What you're really saying is, are you the same as me? You know what I mean? Apostles' Creed, nice seeing we, we down. But if we, were all to lay, if we were to lay out every little dot iota of our beliefs out on the table, right here, all of mine, and then all of yours, I guarantee you there will be differences. I guarantee it. There's just going to be differences. That's just the way it is. That's fine. That is completely fine. And you know what? Over the last three years and in the next three years to come, mine are probably going to change too. And I need, as someone who is driven by belief and just fascinated by religious conversation, I need to be me. I need to be honest. And sometimes I repress that. I do. Because there's been experiences that I've had, and I've been on the other side where I've done this too, where I've excluded someone based on the fact that they don't believe what I believe. I found we don't want to do that. For whatever reason you believe what you believe, you believe what you believe. And that's you. I just like I want to create a place together where we can all feel like we can we can do that. That might be a conversation some might want to have more than others, but we have to create space. Whether you're a Christian, agnostic, atheist, the Christian call transcends an intellectual commitment and calls us to an action of making room. Let's put all that away and love the other, no matter where they're coming from, culturally as well. You know, this kind of pre-rational conditioning that we've had that we don't even think twice about like I put my cheese on before I put mints on my taco it's just how I grew up I've got a fellow cheese first because it because it melts right it's just how you do it um and so and so we have to we have to make room for other people culturally understanding that we all come from different places we have pre-rational wirings in us before we even go to think we just act it's just the way that we're brought up it's nurture and that's going to look different. Understanding, empathizing, allowing people to be different. And the third one is ourselves. And this is the toughest one. Because it doesn't just rely on, on, on you. For me to say to someone, be yourself. I'm assuming that I'm creating an environment in which they're going to feel comfortable to do so. Of course, that's an ideal I think we should all strive for. You know, feeling comfortable with ourselves. But the onus is on each other, the others, to accept, invite and create a space for difference in which people would feel okay to be themselves. Making room for ourselves, thinking it's okay for me to be me as I am. And where there's going to be problems with that, that'll come out in a conversation and an experience together. But let's not count each other out before that happens. So I'm going to throw it over to you guys. And there'll be some questions that go up on the screen. 
in, in terms of making room, I don't want to sit here and have a one-way conversation with you to what I and found think that, you know, making room looks like and, and, and what we need to make room for. I don't know. You know. You know who you are. You know where you're going to need all of us to make room for you so that you can make room for yourself and feel comfortable with yourself. So culturally, you can come and be yourself and be accepted. And with your belief, prayerfully, intellectually, existentially, walk all of that stuff out together.